And for the rest of us, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. For the sake of context, I'd like to read verses 1 all the way to 21. Matthew 14, 1 to 21. says, at that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracle powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages, and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The reason I read our passage today uh, in context is that I wanted to present to you two kings. Two kings in this chapter. We have first Herod the Tetrarch. And second, we have Jesus. One separates himself from the plebeians. The other finds himself moving towards them. One isolates himself from the people, stowed away in his private fortress. The other gives himself to the people, out in the cities, villages, and even in the countryside. One indulges in his own desires. He puts his own leisure, his own hunger, and his own pleasure before everyone else. The other meets the needs of 
people before himself. Which king would you rather serve? Herod Herod Antipas or Jesus? It's difficult to not see the contrast in this passage between these two kings. Last week we saw a pleasure-seeking, people-fearing politician. He only cared about the people's opinions of him. And today in the feeding of the 5,000, we're going to see a king cut from a different cloth. One with incredible pity and power to meet the needs of the people. This is, by the way, the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. So it's a pretty important one. It is performed at the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry, at the height of his popularity, and so it is an important proof of his compassion and his creative power. This is Jesus. And so we want to behold Jesus Christ this morning and see him as the greater king. The great king full of compassion and creative power. But in order to see his greatness, first, we need to recognize our need. And so that's the first point in your outline. Our need. In this miracle, we're presented with various human needs. Human beings are needy. We are needy, whether we like to admit it or not. Parents of children, you know this. Our kids are needy. They need food. They need water. They need protection. They need shelter. They need attention. They need affection. They need a clean diaper. They need shoes without holes in them. They need clothes that are clean. Kids are needy. And it's almost like when you meet one of their needs, immediately another one comes up. And that's our life as parents. We know human beings are needy. And it's just more apparent in children. But we're needy too. All of us have needs. And we're going to see some basic human needs in this miracle. Look at verse 13. Or sorry, uh, yeah, verse 13 in just the first part of it. Now it says, Jesus, now when Jesus heard this. Now when Jesus heard this. Heard what? He just heard that John the Baptist was beheaded. Killed. His herald. And so it's when Jesus heard this. The text tells us that he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This draws our attention to the first human need, security. A sense of safety. Human beings, we all, and especially I think women and children, have a sense of needing to feel safe. Needing to feel secure. Now, I don't want you to be mistaken, just to be clear. Jesus was not withdrawing out of fear. But he was withdrawing for the sake of his ministry and his men. His time had not yet come. He would die a a death far worse than his herald. Jesus would not be beheaded. He would be tortured and crucified. So he wasn't afraid of death or afraid of the pain of death. But because his time had not yet come and for the sake of his men... He retreats from that area. He withdraws from the territory of Herod Antipas. He gets out of the region of Galilee. Now, I told you that this event is recorded by all four gospel authors, and they all kind of give us some color as to what is happening around this event. Mark gives us another reason why Jesus withdrew. 
In Mark 6.31, when he was speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no rest even to eat. So not only did Jesus withdraw for security, he withdrew for some R&R, for some rest and recuperation. And here is another human need. We are tired, and we grow weary. We know that our bodies need rest, and we need nutrition. We need food. Basic human needs we all recognize. Now, if we go back to Matthew 14, 14, it says that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So here's another human need. Our bodies need healing. Sure, medicine has come a long way. We've figured out ways to heal many human diseases, but there are still some that are incurable. Some diseases that modern medicine cannot touch yet. And so this shows us we're broken. The human race. We're broken in many ways. Life is fragile. Even the healthiest of us, at some point, we will deteriorate or we will digress. And the curse of sin has brought all kinds of physical pain, toil, suffering, disease, death into our lives. And so this is a human need. We need healing. We need healing. But in this context, there's an even greater need than these that Jesus presents. Mark and Luke tell us that in addition to healing, Jesus taught the crowds many things. Mark 6.34. And Luke tells us he spoke to them the kingdom of God. So he's proclaiming the gospel. Why? Why does Jesus do that in addition to his healing? See, it's not just a, a social ministry. But he's teaching them. He's preaching to them. Why? Mark says... He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are lost. Wayward. They need leadership. And so Calvin tells us as he's writing his commentary on this event that Jesus saw not only famished bodies, he saw famished souls. Souls. That needed rest. Souls that needed food for life. Souls that needed salvation. See, we we don't just need bread that nourishes our bodies. We need the bread of life that nourishes our souls. We don't just need water, H2O, to quench our thirst. We need the water that quenches our soul. We don't just need rest. That is physical rest. We need the rest that rejuvenates the soul. We need healing. And not just healing from physical aches and pains, diseases and deformities. We need a deeper healing from a more destructive disease called sin. And what is the only solution? What is the only thing that can offer us this true soul nourishment, rest, and healing? It's exactly what Jesus gave beyond His physical healings. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the proclamation of the kingdom of God. It was Jesus Himself. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give you rest for your soul. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted, and He binds up their wounds. So, listen, person that have come to Summit Bible Church today, human being with needs, physical and spiritual, where will you go? Where will you go with your needs? Why, what can we learn from this crowd? This needy crowd. Where did they go? They went to the feet of Jesus. They went to the right place. The man who had the power and the compassion to meet their needs. Where will you go with your needs? Every single one of us, we have human needs, physical needs, and we also have the spiritual need. We need a Savior. And we're reminded of both those needs in this event, and we need to run to the same king. Most in this crowd, unfortunately, they're only coming to Jesus for their physical needs. They're coming to Jesus for the benefits because many of them would leave Jesus when the ministry gets tough. But there are a few in this crowd, a few, including the disciples who would see eventually their great spiritual need, and they would find the Savior who can meet that need. So my question again for you is, why are you here? Why have you come to Jesus? Do you see your neediness? Or do you think you're just doing fine on your own? You can figure it out on your own. Do you see your sinfulness? The corrupted and diseased heart that we all have outside of Christ. And do you see in desperation your need for a Savior? And if he is your savior, if he has met that great spiritual need, then what prevents you from running to him again for the physical needs that you face every day? For resting in him, going to this compassionate king. We are needy. We are needy. And Jesus is the right place to go because he is a king full of compassion. So let's look at his compassion. Point number two in your outline, his compassion. Verse 14 says, he went, to, he went ashore, and he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Do you remember why he withdrew? Seems to me that he withdrew to get away from people, <laughs> not to go toward them. Initially, it was to get away from the crowd, to, to get away from the pressure in Galilee, to take his men away to rest and rejuvenate. That was his intention, at least at what he stated. And so think about you in that situation. You're trying to get away to get some rest, some food for nourishment, trying to get away with your men. Maybe he wanted to talk to his men about what they had just heard about John the Baptist, the herald. Teach them, use an opportunity for training. 
some R&R, rest and recuperation. Now, what would you do if the place you're trying to go to get away from people, you now see is full of people, a great crowd? Would you be frazzled? Would you be frustrated by the interruption? Would you be frantically trying to think of a way to get around these people, to avoid these people, to push through them? Would you see them as a hindrance to your plan? Would you see them as an annoyance or an inconvenience in your day? How does Jesus see them? Jesus sees the crowd, and it says he had compassion. Wow. Much different than you and I. He has compassion in the midst of his own need. Lord, help us to have the heart of Jesus. I want you to see the heart of Jesus here. This word compassion, we've seen it already in Matthew 9.36. It's a strong word. The root is splanknon, which literally refers to your inner parts, your bowels. That's where this word comes from, the root. There's an illustration of this in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31.20, God, talking about Ephraim, the tribe of Israel, He says, therefore, my heart, or another translation is, my bowels yearn for you. I will surely have mercy on you, declares the Lord. This word compassion is a deep-seated feeling that finds outward expression. It can't help but leak out and leak out the eyes in tears of compassion. It can't help leak out your hands and your feet to move towards those who are needy. This isn't just a word of sympathy. Oh, I feel bad for that person. This compassion moves, moves the individual. In fact, some translations don't just translate it that Jesus had compassion. They don't just translate it that Jesus felt compassion. Some translations say he literally moved in compassion. That's the kind of compassion that is in the heart of our Lord. His disciples could see it. Otherwise, how, could they, how else could they describe it? Like rays of light beaming from the sun. His affection streamed outwards toward people in need. Oh, this reminds me of the heart of the father toward his prodigal son. He doesn't despise his son when he returns all covered in pig slop. You know, culture, tradition would say you need to despise and discipline your son. No, the father in Jesus' story despised the shame of the culture. And he ran with open arms, compassionate arms toward his son through the city. That's God's compassion for sinners. That's God's heart toward the sinner. It's his default demeanor towards the one who comes to him in need. It's not an arms crossed, cold response, disappointed. He's full of compassion, open arms. He is gentle and lowly. He is kind. He is inviting. He's embracing. He's helpful. He's ready to meet your need when you come, with, come to him with it. He's ready to take your burden off your shoulders. He's ready to give you the bread, the drink without price, all of himself for all of you. That's the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is seen in Isaiah 55. Come, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is the heart of Jesus Christ, our King. Towards your needs, physical and spiritual, both. 
Now, how is it that Jesus can have such sympathy and compassion for needy people like you and I? How is it that he can know that we need rest? How is it that he can know that we need food? Sure, we're his creation. He designed us that way. But can he really sympathize with us? Does he know what it's like? Yes, he does. Hebrews 4 tells us that he's the merciful high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Jesus, God, became a man. He took on human flesh and experienced all the human needs that we face, but without sin. So yes, he was tired. Yes, he was hungry. Yes, he he had days where he was emotionally burnt out, you could say. He needed sleep. He needed food. He needed water. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He wept. He felt the needs of others around him because he himself had those same same needs. So he has compassion. He understands because he was a human and he was tested. Are you looking for someone who understands your situation? Your difficulties in your life. You just look around. You're like, nobody understands. Nobody knows. I'm telling you today, there is one who does. One who knows your pain better than anyone else. One who understands your suffering and, and even far worse than you can imagine. One who knows your sorrow, who knows your heart better than you do, who knows exactly what you need. And that one is Jesus Christ, the sympathetic high priest, full of compassion. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Christ in your need today. Draw near to the throne of grace for mercy and grace that you need. Whatever you're going through, I want to just call you to Christ, the compassionate King who knows, who understands. His heart bleeds for you. Man, I can't help but think, it's just such an example of a minister, Jesus is. Such an example of a minister to people. You know, I'm mindful, Jesus had needs too. Probably just as tired as his men were. Probably just as hungry. Probably just as spent or burnt out, if you will, on the ministry of the day. I'd become afternoon. I don't know what you do in the afternoon, but I want to take a nap. Jesus, even though he was tired, he was hungry, emotionally drained, you could say. With that in mind, his compassion is even more amazing. Because instead of wanting to get away from people or continuing to press them away, despite his needs, and at the cost of his own comfort and leisure, Jesus ministers to people. He's drawn toward them. And the, fuel, and the food that fueled his ministry, the food that fueled his ministry was compassion in his bowels. That's what he had. He didn't have no other special sauce. He was divine, yes. He was totally relying on the Spirit, which is, something, which is the person we have access to as well. But he had the divine compassion that moved him toward people. What an example for us, elders, pastors. What an example. What an example for us as parents with children. What an example for all Christians who work with people. Yes, people are difficult. Remember this when you're tired of people. Remember this when you've had it with your kids. 
When you're ready to say, I'm burnt out on ministry. I'm ready to give up and get away from people. Remember Christ. Remember His compassion. Look at Jesus and ask Him for what you lack. And let me just tell you, it's not more time. You don't need more energy. You don't need easier people to work with. What you need and what you lack is compassion. A heart for people. So if you're feeling spiritually apathetic, feeling kind of a sense of coldness in the church, ask God for compassion. Ask God for a heart like his for people. A heart that moves toward those in need and not away from them. Compassion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is what will move us and fuel us to keep giving ourselves away, just like Jesus did. Oh, I hope you'd see this. Pastors, elders, ministry leaders, ministers, servants in the church, parents. Pray and ask God for some compassion for people. And let that move you towards them to give more. To have more to give for people in need around us. Look at this compassionate king full of grace and truth. Third, and probably the more obvious application of this event is to see his power. So not only does he have compassion, but he has power. Look at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I love what Spurgeon says about the disciples. He says, the disciples had just enough compassion to recognize the need, but not enough compassion to meet it. And so they say, hey, these people need food. They can't get it here. Send them away to go buy food for themselves. And then what does Jesus say in verse 16? Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I love how the Lord puts it in the disciples' court. You figure it out. See, the Lord is always training. He's always testing His men. There's always an opportunity to not only show compassion to people, but to teach His men how to minister. And first, He poses a question. To test them. You know, the ball's in their court. They're trying to, okay, frantically trying to come up with an answer. Come up with a solution to the problem. Figure this out. You men, figure this out. And John tells us he gives them some time. They presented this need early, and then Jesus says, hey, you figure it out. He goes and starts ministering to people, and they're like looking around like, what do we do? And so he's constantly training his men. He's constantly teaching them by example, compassionately giving themselves to people, and he tests their faith in his power. Now, Jesus tests their faith in this miracle, and he's going to test their faith in the next one. He's testing his men. Do you believe that I am truly who I, am, who I say I am? That I am God? That I have the power to heal, to save, to forgive, and to raise from the dead? John adds some colorful dialogue to the story. We're told that, you know, they essentially say we have only five loaves here and two fish. That was their response. We're actually told who said that in John's account. It's Andrew. Andrew essentially says, we don't have enough food. This is all we have. Philip 
tells Jesus they don't have enough money. We got no money, no food. In other words, we can't and insert excuse here. What kind of other excuses do people make? Well, if they look at human means, well, there's not enough time. We don't have enough time, Jesus. There's not enough volunteers for this ministry. Well, we don't have enough resources to do what we really want to do for the kingdom of God. And you know what? Some of us might make even this excuse, if there's not human means, then it must not be God's will to save, to heal, to provide. Don't we make that justification in our minds? Well, if we don't have the human means around it, it must not be God's will. We've heard all these excuses, and some of us have made these excuses almost as if we're letting God off the hook from answering our requests and from meeting our needs when we really have them. What should they have said to Jesus? When Jesus says, you feed them, they should have said, yes, we can't, but you can We can't, but you can. They're looking at the Son of God, the Messiah, who has proven to have power. He has calmed the seas before them. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. He has cast out demons. This is the Messiah. This is the King. He has the power. In fact, He is the Creator, all-powerful and divine. Stop saying, we can't, and start saying, You can. You can. You know, Jesus has done this before. 6,000 years ago, he spoke and wheat began to grow. 6,000 years ago, he spoke and then fish appeared and started swimming in the seas. You think he can't make a few more? By just the word of his mouth? He is God. But the disciples lack faith. And so do we sometimes, don't we? We make similar excuses. Have you doubted God's power to provide for you, to provide for your needs? Become anxious because you're fearful that you'll lose some of that security that God has given you? Have you doubted his power to change your boss's heart, to change your circumstances at work? Have you doubted his power to save your family member who seems to be walking wayward? going astray? Have you doubted God's power to heal the sick among you? Have you doubted God's power to grow your church? Have you doubted God's power to bring more volunteers to your ministry? Maybe you've made the excuse, well, if there are no human means, it must not be God's will to help. As if He needs our help. As if He needs the human needs to do what He wants to do. He doesn't. How quickly do we doubt him? Not enough resources, not enough time, not enough energy, not enough people. We can't, we can't, we can't. But he can. What he wants from us is the faith, believing that he can. He can and he does. He does. Look back down at the text, verse 18. He said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. Which is where the disciples should have looked. Not to the earth. Not to earthly means. Money. Do we have the time? Do we have the resources to pull this off? No. Look to heaven. 
Why are you looking at empty pockets and empty baskets? Look to the storehouses of heaven. Verse 19 tells us, He said a blessing. Meaning, listen, that Jesus did not bless the food. He blessed the provider of the food. Too many of us mix that up. We're not blessing food. We're not praying a special you know, sauce into the food or nutrients. We don't want the food to nourish our bodies. We want to thank the creator who gave it to us. That's what blessing is. Blessing is to praise God, to thank God. So that's what Jesus did. He paused before the meal to give thanks to the great provider, to acknowledge that God blesses us and provides us with nourishment. That's where we should be looking for our needs. And then 19 says, he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. I love this. I love that God, Jesus, still uses his men. He doesn't discard them because of their lack of faith. Well, you're useless. You don't even believe I can do this. Let me show you. No, he still uses them. He employs his men in ministry. He's teaching and training them. Again, to meet the needs of the people. You know what's ironic about this is that for the rest of their lives, Jesus' men would continue to give bread to the people. Just not physical bread. He would, they would give the people the bread of life. These disciples would continue to walk around with their basket full of the gospel and minister to people for the rest of their lives. Jesus was foreshadowing their ministry in this way. And look at verse 20. And they all ate. How many ate? All. And they didn't just eat. They were satisfied. They were satisfied. They ate and they were satisfied. The word for satisfied is used for animals that eat until they are engorged or swollen. They can't move anymore. That's how full these people were. When's the last time you've been this full? Probably within the last week. This is very full and satisfied. Jesus goes above and beyond. So much so that, look at they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. How many disciples does Jesus have? Twelve. Interesting. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets. Provides not only for the crowd, but for his men. Enough food to satisfy. And those who ate were about 5,000 men. That's besides women and children. That's why my title is Jesus Feeds 5,000 in parentheses and more. It wasn't just 5,000. It was 5,000 men. Now John tells us this was right before the Passover and that many had come to Jerusalem or come to this region for the Passover. So you have men traveling with their families. And families during this time were often large. So you have women and children. Maybe four or five plus. So you have whole families here before Jesus. It's likely, some scholars would conclude, likely that there are about 15,000 to 20,000 people really here. So Jesus likely fed fifteen to 20,000 people. Here's just some perspective. The Toyota Arena, which is just down the street in Ontario, 
You want to know what the seating capacity is for that building? 11,000 people. That arena can fit 11,000 people in its seats. The Hollywood Bowl. You know what the capacity for the Hollywood Bowl is? 17,500 people. 17,500 people can fit in the Hollywood Bowl. Madison Square Garden. The seating capacity for Madison Square Garden, you know, one of the largest indoor arenas in the United States, is 19,500. So, all four gospel authors recording this miracle show us that Jesus at one time fed the Madison Square Garden. That many people. That's a lot of people. With what? He could have had nothing but five loaves of bread and two fish. This is a, this is a divine miracle. And it's just incredible that all four gospel authors write this. Four different men recording and writing from four different regions and areas, recording the same miracle, the same facts, a harmony of facts, the same story. Do you think that 20,000 people experienced the placebo effect? That they thought they were engorged with food? And it was actually like some food trucks outside of the village? No. This was... This is a, you know, it gives us as much evidence to believe that this is a historical event as any other histor- historical event in history. Jesus fed between 15,000 and 20,000 people. This is an amazing proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ, who he, who he is. He has the creative power of God. He is God. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he was? Do you believe that He is the Son of God? The Messiah, the Christ? God who became a man and gave Himself for sinners? You need to hold that thought. Hold that thought as we look next week at the next miracle when Jesus walks on water. Because that's the question for His men. Do you believe? Do you have faith? But let's take it home. Let's pull some away from this event. Let me ask you some questions. Again, do you recognize your neediness? Not just as a human being, but as a soul. Your desperate need for salvation in Jesus Christ. That you're a sinner and without a savior, you're doomed. And have you trusted, come to Jesus for the living water, the bread of life, the rest for your soul that you need? Do you come to Jesus believing that he is compassionate and powerful enough to meet your needs? Whatever's going on in your life, do you trust him? Do you trust him that he has your heart? And perhaps he doesn't give you the yes and the amen or the answer you want to hear. But can you trust him with your heart? If he is compassionate and all-powerful, he holds your circumstances in his hands and he has your heart. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. Sometimes it's hard to take his medicine, but we can always trust his kindness, his compassion, his love for us. And if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, shouldn't we be the people above all other people to turn around and to do likewise? Shouldn't we have the compassion of Jesus Christ to meet the needs of those in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, 
Shouldn't we be moved with compassion, not away from people, but toward them, to minister to people like Jesus did, to touch people, to love them, to serve them, to help them, to meet physical needs. But even beyond that, we know that the greatest need they have, just like Jesus looked out of the crowd, he sees that they were sheep without a shepherd. There are many people in our communities that are like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know God. They don't have salvation in Jesus Christ. And so shouldn't we be moved with compassion to share the good news with them? To proclaim the gospel that they need to know Christ and be saved. And remember, you don't need more time. You don't need more resources. You need compassion. You need a heart for people. Turn to God and ask him for the compassion of his heart. To see people as he sees them, as souls, lost, wandering, that need the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this reminder of just your heart of compassion. You are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. Lord, it's so good to see your heart toward us sinners. So good to be reminded of the gospel that you, in compassion, you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as a substitute for our sin. Because he took our sinfulness upon himself, though he was without sin, he took the burden and the penalty of sin upon himself on the cross. And in a great exchange, if we believe in him, he's given us his righteousness, his perfection. And that Jesus, our Savior, our King, He is not dead. He is risen, powerful over sin and death. Risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. And He's able to sympathize with us, Lord, because He he was a man. He is a man. And so let us run to Him. Let us run to His throne in our hour of need. Please move us toward the Savior, Jesus Christ, compassionate and powerful. Lord, and help us who do believe and know Christ to be moved outward towards people with the same compassion and love to meet their needs. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to see Christ and to live out Christ in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.